Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. We're here for the second to last installment of my mini series, the ABCs of F1. If you've been here before, I'm very glad you're back. Uh if you are new here, welcome. And so as a refresher, these little short episodes kind of were initiated because I found that especially when I started watching F1, there were so many terms and a lot of jargon that I heard used by various people in the industry that was hard for me to understand, and I found a lot of it hard to follow and hard to understand. So in these episodes, I am going letter by letter. That's why I'm calling it the ABCs of F1. to pick a few terms under each letter and explain them in as simple a way as I can so that the next time you turn on a race or listen to an interview from a driver or a commentator that you can better understand what's going on. So today I'm doing uh, the letters S, T, U and V. And as I said this is the second to last episode. There're only so many letters in the alphabet. And so this episode I'm doing four letters. and the very last episode of this will be a little different because there aren't that many terms for like x y and z and so i'm going to dump them completely and just do what i can label as a free practice of sorts and grab a bunch of terms from other letters that i haven't had the chance to talk about and that i've wanted to chat about so that will be the very last one of the abc's and then i will introduce a brand new mini series so to jump right in let's get started with the s terms The first one here is slipstream. And like so much in F1, this has to do with aerodynamics. And it's an, it's not a term that's mutually exclusive to F1 either. Sports like biking and cycling and even swimming will use this term. And slipstream works when a driver gets close to the rear of the car in front to benefit from drag reduction on straights at a circuit. So we understand two things about F1 cars and their interaction with the air around them. A, there is a constant drag on the car as it cuts through the air. It is hard work for the vehicle to push through the air as it drives, and depending on the following car's distance from the one in front, it can either be a positive or negative influence on their speed. And B, the lead car also produces kind of a circulation of sorts behind the car as it produces downforce and this generates an area of lower pressure behind the car so an aerodynamicist from williams explains that if the following car is close enough it can utilize this effect to be essentially drawn into that low pressure zone and thus the following car works less hard to overcome the air resistance So essentially that car in front is acting maybe like a snowplow and pushing away the air resistance for the car behind it. And it really refers to instances specifically on the straights. So take slipstream out of your head when it comes to corners. And this is because on the straights there is a well on both corners and straights, but there comes into the question of grip and how that works with straights versus corners. So in losing air resistance, drivers are losing grip in their tires. That's why it's important to pursue a slipstream on the straights of a track because you're actively 
decreasing your resistance and you don't want to add any more grip because grip can slow you down. So sometimes you'll hear slipstream also referred to as a tow in that the leading car is quite literally towing the following car behind it. And it can have a big impact on lap times, especially on tracks that are really dependent on straight line speed. Now the second S term is simulator. And you might have seen on various drivers like Instagram stories, maybe Lando Norris or Danny Kafiat, maybe Esteban Ocon, to name a few, that they spend a lot of time on simulators. And at their very basic level, this is exactly what the word implies. They are simulations of real F1 racing and are essentially useful, or excuse me, especially useful for drivers to practice on a track they've never been to. Maybe they've raced very little at it or struggled at it. It allows them to learn the corners better and the feel of the car. So it's a form of practice that gets drivers close to the real thing without actually having to travel thousands of miles and get in a real car. And it's also heavily useful for development drivers or reserve drivers. So I just mentioned Danny Kafiat a moment ago. He's Alpine's reserve driver. So often when he's not at the track itself, he spends time on the simulators in the factory, or some of them even have simulators at their homes, maybe not as advanced ones, but they have something they can practice on. Doing that repeatedly and consistently will keep them in shape and it will keep them updated with good knowledge and experience on the tracks should they need to jump in and take the wheel at a moment's notice. Now, there are two arenas of simulators that are used by teams, and Mercedes spoke about their 2020 setup in which they utilized two different things. One was called driver in loop, and the second was called computer simulation. So driver in loop, or DIL, is essentially a virtual test track. This is where the car and the track are both bottled in great detail, all to look as realistic as possible. And it enables the teams to develop the car at a higher level, at a better level, find the right setup direction, and help the drivers familiarize themselves with a track in a virtual environment. Again, all without actually running the car and risking any crashes or mechanical issues in the way. So drivers can run a bunch of hours on these simulators since they don't have to travel anywhere and it's all in one place. And then the other part, which is computer simulation, is actually done entirely without the driver themselves, which sounds kind of crazy. But remember how Formula One is so inherently intertwined with the search and collection of data and information and numbers. And so sometimes it's just quicker and more efficient to just have the computers do it instead instead of pulling in a driver for hours upon hours upon a simulator, if you can have a computer do it in a lot less time and a lot faster, then that's the way teams are gonna go. And so there are computer programs that can just run these laps for as long as the team needs them to. And this allows them to understand more about the cars and how they'll expect them to run when they actually get to the track. And the importance of strategy is also intertwined here. I talked about strategy in my last episode, so go back and check that one out if you could. And they can see with the simulations how certain strategies will work out because they can run full race length simulations so they can play out various strategies and see how they'll actually work and if they could be an option for the race. 
And now there are further distinctions between static and full motion simulators, which are fairly self-explanatory again, in that some simulators mimic the motion feedback and physical movements of a car when driving, while others are more stationary. Now jumping to the T terms, the first and only one I'm gonna talk about is team orders. And I could probably spend a whole episode on this, I probably will, but they're one of the most controversial and tenuous discussion topics and activities in the sport. So let me set the stage. Every team, regardless of if they admit it or not, has a number one and a number two driver. On Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton is number one and literally everyone and anyone else is number two. So sorry to Valtteri and to Nico for that. And of course, none of the drivers want to admit their numbers two status on the team. Sorry to Carlos Sainz Jr. at Ferrari, who thinks he is not second to Charles Leclerc. He absolutely is. Now, this hierarchy of drivers on a team has consequences on track, especially with the teams that are competing for championship or race wins. Now, team orders are commands given by the bosses on the pit wall regarding the actions of their drivers, usually asking the number two driver to let the number one driver pass him. So it benefits their best driver at the expense of their teammate. And it usually is done for points gain. They know that, okay, if our number one driver gets a higher place, he'll extend his championship lead. And, oh, the driver in front of him is his teammate, the number two driver? Well, good, we can ask that guy to get out of the way and let our number one guy in front so that he can get more points. And it's pretty infuriating for both drivers and fans alike. It never sits well with either party and always is cause for debate and argument. And one of the most famous instances of team orders came in 2013, I think it was at Malaysia, between then uh, Red Bull Racing teammates Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber, and it's called the Multi-21 incident. So in the race, Mark was leading in first with Sebastian in second, and as they neared the end of the race, team boss Christian Horner came on the radio and told them to follow the Multi-21 instruction. And now the numbers in this explain the code. 2121. The number two driver, who in this case was Mark, is supposed to stay in front of the number one driver, which was Sebastian. They are not supposed to fight or try and pass each other or do anything that might cause a crash uh, that could take them both out and lose all these points. Plus, Sebastian was going for the driver's championship that year, it was his fourth and final, and the team was going for the constructor's championship. So the kicker came when Sebastian decided to ignore the Multi-21 orders entirely, and he ended up overtaking Mark, stealing the first place even when he had been told not to. So Seb received a ton of backlash for it, and the relationship with him and Mark has been pretty tarnished from then on. They're sort of friends now, but I think that'll always be a defining moment in their relationship. And it proves how tough a line team orders is to toe because Formula One is simultaneously an individual and a a team sport. You want to obey your boss and do what they ask, but you don't want to have to obey them at the expense of winning or when you feel like you deserve to win and the situation has been taken out of your hands and you're then forced to let your teammate pass when they maybe don't deserve the win in your eyes. So it's hard to have the conversation 
Uh, especially there's so much bias when you talk to people if they like one driver over the other. But team orders still exist to this day. They still happen, and they're still as controversial as they were many years ago. Now, I'm going to skip you, the U terms, because I did... I would have done undercut and understeer, but since I compared them to overcut and oversteer in a past episode, I'll just refer you to those and jump onto the V terms because there's two I want to talk about. The first being VSC, and this stands for Virtual Safety Car, and it was introduced in 2015, so fairly recently. And under the virtual safety car, all the cars must slow down to a speed limit in what would effectively be a full course caution when a normal safety car would come out and slow them up. However, this is all done without deploying the actual safety car. So without the physical Mercedes or Aston Martin leaving the pits and coming out to the front of the pack. And once the virtual safety car has been called, All electronic marshal panels around the track, so those little flashing boxes, uh, I think, that are on the fences or the walls, will display the letters VSC, while teams will also be notified via an official messaging system from the FIA. And I think the impetus for choosing to implement a virtual safety car or this system was that some issues on track were very minimal, and they didn't need the whole process of deploying a full safety car. So it could just be that someone has an issue with their engine and rolls safely out of the way of everything and poses no threat and the rest of the field can remain on track. And so by using a safety car that's virtual and not physical, they don't have to lose as many laps as they would have to with the in and out lap of an actual safety car, and they can just self-regulate the speed at which they're supposed to go. And so it ultimately keeps the racing going and going smoothly with a lot less interruptions for both the drivers and the fans. Now, the second V term is visor, and these are the glass portions on the helmets of the drivers that they wear to race. They are water resistant, and obviously its construction helps racers steer clear of obstacles or obstructions while they're racing. But there are also multiple strips to a visor. So sometimes you'll see drivers rip off a layer because sometimes they'll get dirty or creased or worn. Bugs will fly on it. It's like a windshield. It's their windshield essentially. And they can just rip that layer off and dispose of it. So think of it kind of like a post-it note essentially, like those little pads for writing. You just rip off the top layer and you got a new one. And they're also shaped especially to deal with rain, which sounds obvious because like it's supposed to, it's a helmet, it's supposed to fit the human head, but the sweep and the, the specific turn of it also helps to deflect rain and make sure it doesn't get inside the helmet and impact the driver's breathing or vision in any way. So there is a special hydrophobic coating on the visor to ensure that there is that kind of barrier to leakage. And now the visors may seem pretty minuscule in terms of all that goes on in an F1 car, but the reality is that if the driver can't see, they can't race. And so making sure that their vision is unobstructed and clear is super important. So that's all for this episode of the ABCs of F1. Like I said, I'll be back uh, to finish this up with the last episode, and then I'll move on to a new mini-series. So I hope you'll stick around for that, uh, and thank you for listening to this one.